The All Black Podcast is powered by our official cloud software partner, SAP, helping our teams in black become the best-run teams in sport. To listen to this episode and all the All Black Podcasts, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Kirafano, welcome to episode two of the All Black Podcast, powered by SAP. Big week, it's Test Week, and I'm seriously fizzed because the Irish are here. Last time these two teams met, clash back in Dublin, the Irish knocked us over 29 points to 20. So, in preparation for the first test at Eden Park this weekend, we thought we'd talk to one of the great players of the All Black jersey. Welcome to the studio, Richie McCaw. Thanks, mate. Yeah, it's good to be here. Mate, we got you up in the 09, we got you in the studio. What are you doing up in the big smoke today? Um. Well, it's actually uh, been up here for rugby uh, things with obviously the um, the Silver Lake deal with New Zealand Rugby got signed off uh, just recently. Um, those guys are actually in, in town, so they're getting around meeting a few people. So I thought it was a good chance to obviously got a little bit involved over the last twelve months with uh, with the the deal to so to meet the guys that are. Uh, Obviously, uh, part of the Silver Lake side, which has been great, mate. It's awesome to have you involved in that. I think it's it's great as we sort of go into this new era of rugby. Good fellas, are they? You know, they're, they're pretty excited. I think you mentioned to me beforehand that they're rugby men and they're, they're quite excited to get stuck into this project. Oh, absolutely. They um, well, uh, the lead fella uh, Simon's uh, a Brit, so you yeah. know, lo- loves his rugby, and uh, yeah, I think they're just excited. You know, obviously, uh, it's been a quite a long process, but excited about what's ahead. So uh, I think everyone should be excited. And they're involved in some amazing stuff, aren't they? Like around the world, they're involved in some pretty, you know, significant and, and pretty exciting projects. So hopefully there's a bunch of things they can bring to the table for us. Oh, I'm sure they will, and they'll, they'll challenge, uh, you know, ways of doing things and, and, and looking to the future. I think that's the key is, is you know, uh, years down the track, what is it that we uh, need to do as a, as a game in New Zealand, uh, right from, you know, the, the young... Uh, young kids playing through to the professional game. How we're going to make it uh, sustainable? And uh, obviously, money has a has a lot to do with that. And uh, they'll have ideas that'll be uh, probably even thought of. Yeah, absolutely. Now it's exciting times. And also, mate, um, team close to your heart. Did you watch the Crusaders in the weekend? I know you were perhaps travelling at the time, but might have found a way to to sneak it. Yeah, I was actually uh, in Japan for a couple of couple of days and. I uh, managed to get to the airport and uh, before my flight, uh, sat and watched in the lounge. And uh, yeah, I think uh, well, the reflections on it. Um, I, the, fir- the first thing is just the fact you had a full Eden Park, yeah. um, a lot of anticipation, not sure who was going to uh, yep. get the job done, and that excitement sort of reminds me of of the years that uh, you know I was lucky enough to play in those games. And um, you know, but from a Crusaders' point of view, uh, she was a pretty clinical display, yep. like. They uh, didn't give the Blues any room to wiggle and, um, yeah, got the job done. Yeah, it was. Like, as uh, you know, we were talking about beforehand, there weren't, I don't think the Crusaders had too many fans outside of their region. <laughs> um, there was definitely a lot of people who wanted the Blues to win. but I'd say everyone outside, outside of the region, everyone, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, based in the Bay of Plenty there, I don't think any mates um, <laughs> down there for that week. But there's, but like you say, geez, it's sort of that finals pedigree, I suppose, wasn't it? It seemed to be on the big occasion, like you say, full stadium at, at Eden Park, which was really exciting for the comp. Um, they very much got it right on the day. Yeah, just <clears throat> I, I think that, you know there was a few big moments, um, but certainly that try right on half time yeah. uh, when they'd had a bit of pressure on going to the break. Th- those sort of moments are, are pretty key, and you know the, the weather got a bit 
but uh, average as the game went on. And when you're playing catch up in that sort of rugby, uh, that sort of weather, um, you know, it's it's hard to, you know, get going. And, and that was sort of what it looked like. And um, and the the Crusaders got their one or two opportunities and and uh, managed to nail them. And a couple of the big players, you know, like up front, yeah. You know, uh, Sam Whitelock and Scott Barrett, um, and also you know the front row. Even the young fellas came up. They had quite an impact, and you know that makes it easier for everyone else to play. And it'll serve all of those players, not just the Crusaders players, but the Blues players. It'll serve them well, won't it? Going into three weeks of, of really hard Test rugby, like like you say, we sort of haven't had that occasion maybe as much in the last couple of years with full stadiums and big pressure environments. What we saw is a 50-50 game. Um, so those guys who did play in that win or loss has to have sort of served them really well. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, from a Crusader point of view, those guys having that experience and knowing sort of th- those sort of, um, I guess, approaches to the game, you know, you got to do that in test matches, you know, where it's sort of all on the line. Um, but, yeah, the other side of it, uh, you know, sometimes a reminder that, um, you know, no matter what you've done before or last week or throughout the season, if you don't get it right on that day um, or you, you can't get your game going, um, actually that doesn't mean a lot when the final whistle goes and you you know uh, you haven't haven't got it across the line. Absolutely. Rich, going to talk to you um, about your debut before. Don't want to go in too cold, so a few warm-up questions before we get into it um, that we, of, we often ask all our guests. First of all, black game that you went to, can you remember? I can. It was... Uh, it was 1993, I think, when Savrika came. They oh. played at Carisbrook. Um, I sat in the Neville Street stand with uh, my father, and uh, that was, I think, that was the first first Test match I got along to. So just was, you and Donny, yeah, was it? Yeah, we did. We uh, so I know I was 12 at that point, so that was the first time I'd uh, I'd been able to get to a All Black match. And obviously, Savrika was the first time they'd been back in NZ for a long time, so that uh, was pretty cool. Awesome. Um, favorite All Black growing up. I think as a as a young fella, um, the '87 through to '90, that sort of era was was sort of when I really started uh, taking notice. And um, I, I think John Kerwin, you know, I remember yeah. the tries he scored in, in the World Cup. They sort of the the, the bits of that uh, World Cup I sort of remember. But then I I started playing around that point, and uh, I was always going to be a forward. And uh, Buck Shelford was the yes. was the captain, and. Uh, I just loved his toughness, and uh, so um, he was the one that I always, uh, you know, used to admire. And um, it was, you know, when when the debate around uh, Buck Shelford and yeah. Zambrock, I was very much a Buck Shelford man <laughs> at the time. And he put out a book, and I, I remember uh, going in the book signed. Um, it was in Dunedin when he was doing a book tour. I think it might have been after he'd. Uh, he, he was no longer an All Black, but uh, I remember that I got on. I remember getting on the TV news because over there I thought it was pretty cool at the time. <laughs> Your first bit of TV yeah, coverage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was sort of. It was pretty obvious I was trying to get myself in there. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. God, didn't that blimmin, um polarise the nation? Bring back Buck and Zinni, this Aucklander getting into the All Blacks and <laughs> in front of South Island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, those signs, those bring back Buck signs, kept going for about ten years, didn't they? It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, slight change of tact. You travel a bit, Rich. You know you need a bit of downtime. What's what's been the favourite TV stream of late? I'm always looking for a good recommendation. Um, I'm not actually. Uh, I don't actually get to. Uh, I, don't, I don't watch a lot of TV or try and get too hooked on uh, on series. Um, I quite enjoyed the Jack Reacher one. Yeah. I, I enjoy those books, and you know, uh, so yep. I watch that and. I got recommended Ted Lasso. <laughs> yep. yep. And I actually found myself, I got through the whole first season, and I quite enjoyed the fact that some of the underlying uh, messages yeah. around teams and that, you go, actually, that's it's quite 
quite a quite it's a most unlikely it. show, isn't it? Yeah. An American football coach in, in yeah. the UK. I was the same. I was like, someone recommended. I was like, really? Is this? And yeah. you watched and you're like, geez, this is actually bloody I actually, good. Uh, I actually quite enjoyed it. Yeah, brilliant. Right, Richie, three people, three guests around for dinner. <laughs> um, who are you inviting, mate? I actually don't know who, you know, like it'd be, a lot of people go, oh, I'd love to meet so-and-so. And there's a few people like that. I, I guess from a sporting context is, is uh, you know, and just purely the um, people you admire, um, I always said uh, people like uh, Roger Federer and yeah. uh, Tiger Woods just because of the, the way they dominated their sport. Uh, so, but, you know, that, that's a sporting context. The other... But what I always say is uh, someone I really admired and I loved as a young youngster growing up was my grandfather talking about the war during uh, the Second World War. And uh, he told me a lot of stories he never told anyone else and he's no longer around. And I'd, him and his mates, yeah. you know, I wish I got the chance being a bit older to sit down and just hear those stories. And I was just intrigued by what they did and, and what they went through. And if you could sit down and hear all those stories now, man, I, I think that would be pretty cool. So, uh, you know, it might be a little bit out there, different uh, way of looking at it, but, uh, you know, I, I just love hearing the courage of those sort of people. And, and I guess you ask yourself, you know, would you have done something that they'd, they'd done if that was put in front of you now? Oh, 100%. I had a surrogate grandfather who uh, fought in Papua New Guinea as an Australian guy, and one of his jobs was to um, go into certain areas with a flamethrower. That was one of his jobs, to go in first with a flamethrower. And I just thought, my God, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't be able to, I don't think I'd be able to do that, you know, but I, but these guys were, um, were asked to do that sort of stuff and but it's amazing. I, but, I, but I think uh, that sort of, those sort of values and courage and, and putting yourself, you know, yourself aside for something bigger than yourself, you know, you know, we're talking about sport here, but, you know, they, they were prepared to do that, you yeah. know, where it wasn't whether you win or lose, it was, it was whether you're going to come home or not. And, but it was for a, for a bigger good, and, and I, I, that's what I just asked myself. You know, would I go and volunteer to go and do something like that? Yeah. And if you had those three guys around, what are you cooking? Oh. What are you cooking? <laughs> I do do a reasonable roast. Yeah. I, uh, um, stick to what you know. I stick yeah. to what I know. I I, I can uh, I'd rustle up a pretty good roast, and I think those those sort of people would uh, appreciate that. Hundred percent. Yeah. Mate, you love a challenge. Um, it's been, you know, a really important part of your life after rugby. Um, signing up for a few different things to get you out in the morning, boots on the ground. But um, what's I know you've done? Was it two or three God zones now? Well, I've done three and a half. You've done three, <laughs> three and a half. Well, not even half, but three. I started four of them. Yeah, yeah. Them. yeah. Yeah, talk us through that. The last one. I know it didn't um, didn't quite. It was a, a, a DNF in the end, wasn't it? But, it was. Um, <clears throat> well, yeah, it was. Uh, we probably had a multitude of things we didn't quite get right, uh, but it culminated in a uh, teammate getting an ear infection, which, you know, you, when you got one of the Wrong those place, in, wrong time. And you're two days into a seven-day race, you're never going to. Yeah. But, you know, I, I probably wasn't in, uh, I had a bit of a niggly knee, which would have been okay, but it was probably, when he, you know, it was obvious we couldn't carry on, I was sort of like, maybe it's <laughs> not such a bad thing. And you stuck behind, didn't you? A couple of your other teammates carried on and tried to get the job done, but you stayed behind with the teammates yeah, well, to make sure you, they got out. <clears throat> yeah, and, and in a race like that, you prepare for a whole year, and and then all of a sudden it stopped. And then there's a bit of luck that you know whether you hurt yourself or get sick or turn up. But um, there was another team that the same thing had happened. They lost a lost a couple, so they joined up and carried on. So it was good that they were able to do that. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, just getting to the start line and fresh and in good nick and being able to get through the races is is, uh, is an achievement in itself. Let alone whether you're actually trying to race as fast as you, you know, uh, against others. Absolutely. And 
what's next? Are you gotta you gonna chuck another one in the calendar? What's the rig like at the moment? Are you um, you know, you're not getting any younger, Richard. Let's be honest. You know, you start doing these these yeah. crazy things, but you're going to chuck another one in the yeah, calendar. Uh, I don't know about a, <clears throat> the God Zone. That's the entries are just about doping up. It's a World Championships next year down in Fiordland. So there's a few few things that just uh, start to um, <laughs> twist the arm. But I, I missed out on doing the coast to coast this year because the two day yeah. uh, got um, I couldn't be run because of COVID. So uh, managed to push a entry out for next year. So I'm going to give that a crack again. Good man. 148 games for the All Blacks. First All Blacks player to get to 100 tests. World Cup winner in 2011 and 2015. We're not going to talk about any of that today. Um, we're going to go back to your debut against the Irish at Lansdowne Road. Can you remember this? November 17th, 2001, in front of 52,000 fans, just a wet behind the ears, 20-year-old, Lincoln University student just trying to establish himself. Do you, can you remember, mate, all, all that time ago? Is it like yesterday? <coughs> I, I can remember it uh, pretty clearly, and I often get asked, um, you know, what's the most memorable game you had as an All Black, and, it, and it's quite hard because all different games, you know, some of the things you talked around, you're able to win tournaments and stuff, uh, are, are hugely special, but the one that sits ahead of the rest is the day you become an All Black, yeah. where the dream of growing up actually becomes a, a reality, and, and once you've put that jersey on, no one can ever take that away from you again. So uh, it, it certainly, you know, that, that's why I always say that's, that was the most special uh, probably time. And I always add on that the my last game, yeah. uh, 2015, where we won the World Cup, um, and I still felt like I was playing as good as I had any other day that I'd played. Uh, you know, to have the first and last sort of memorable like that um, was a pretty cool, cool way to... Um, to remember, I, I guess, what I did. But, uh, yeah, it was certainly um, a pretty exciting time. But I look back on what I learned through my career, like, how the hell I even <laughs> um, did something that was worthwhile out in the field. Uh, yeah. You know, as a, I was, was a 20 or whatever, hardly played much first-class rugby. You know, you're sort of amazed. Well, we'll talk about that. Like, you're a... I don't know if you're a, a real traditional bolter, but you're, you're pretty close <laughs> to it. I mean, you'd, uh, you'd just played... Basically, had you played... Almost no Super Rugby, or maybe maybe ten minutes or something, and only one full NPC season. Is that right? Yeah. So, <clears throat> two thousand, um, all the All Blacks played pretty much the whole NPC, bar the first two or three weeks. So I, I got pulled into the Canterbury team for the first uh, three games. I think it was. I got to strip for one game and got I, think I got ten minutes for them. So that was my uh, first. Games. It was 2000, and pretty much the same thing happened uh, in the Crusaders. I wasn't in the squad, but it was an injury. I got pulled in. I stripped for two games and got the last minute or two of each of those games. So uh, literally a handful of minutes of Super Rugby. So this is 2001, and then pretty much had a full NPC uh, in 2001, where we had a lot of All Blacks in that team, uh, and we played some amazing rugby. Actually, yeah. Steve Hansen just taken over as uh, coach, and we sort of adapted. Or changed a little bit how we were playing and you know, using the ball a lot and uh, sort of suited our, our team and I, I guess just being able to slot in there beside some pretty established All Blacks was uh, pretty exciting and, and I guess because we, we managed to uh, win that competition you know and it was easy to play well because you, you the team was going well um, yeah I was lucky enough to get picked uh, for the tour. And it was You'd had a good, you had a really good NPC season, you know. Like like you said, you established yourself in number seven jersey. Had a phenomenal. The team went well, and and um, like you say, the style was awesome under Steve, and you had some good players coming through, like Azza and Benny Blair and those sort of boys. But 
you know, you'd still only played really one full MPC season. You're still 20 years old. You know, when it came to the time to name the All Blacks for end of year tour, did you think you're a chance? Had there been much chatter, you know, like outside of your mates at lunchtime at Lincoln University saying you might be a go? Like, was had anyone given you um, a tap on the shoulder? Or? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't know. But you're right. There's there was there was talk. I guess the one thing that happened there was a change in coaches. Um, John Mitchell and Robbie Deans had taken over. It was for Smithy, wasn't it? Yeah. Smithy had- uh, so after the Tri Nations, uh, there, there was a change, um, and so everything was. I don't think any of the All Blacks that had been in there uh, actually really thought they were going to be. You know, they, they were all probably waiting around to see you know yep. what changes were going to be made, but but certainly there'd been talk about. Um, uh, you know, there was a possibility, and, and I guess Josh Cronfeld had retired sort of twelve months earlier. Tane Randall had been playing number seven during the middle of that year. Marty Holler was new to the team. So it wasn't like there was someone that really yeah. had the number seven jersey uh, as, you know, uh, that would be an automatic choice. So there was perhaps a, a slight opening because of that. And um, But, you know, as you say, I hadn't, hadn't played a lot, so I didn't want to get too ahead of myself. But I still listened to the team being named because yeah. there was that minute possibility, I suppose. Yeah. And talk through that. Where were you? Like, how did you, <coughs> how did you hear it? Well, um, it was only really out on the radio. Um, well, that's old school. That's old school. old school. So I, we'd, we'd played the NPC final the night before and we'd won it, so we'd had a reasonably uh, yeah. good celebration. And uh, my my folks we were still down the farm. They were staying with some friends and they came and picked me up and they, they said, oh, we need to listen to the radio for the All Black team. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And uh, so we all sat around at their place and actually – I think it was my father had a video camera, like pretty presumptuous to be fair, but uh, probably would have got deleted and had it not gone away. But they actually filmed it, and um, and yeah, it was uh, sat there and listened, and I was like, wow, uh, we're going on, going to Europe. It's uh, it's pretty cool, mate. It's awesome. And like you say, it was a new era. Like John Mitchell and Robbie Deans had taken over from Wayne Smith. They didn't pick Cullen. They didn't pick Wilson. They didn't pick Tane Randall. Um, you know, names of today, Razor, Crusaders coach, was at eight. Leon McDonald was in the team at 15. Um, was it, was there, like, even like yourself, I know there's a little bit of chat around, you know, we're giving all black jerseys away too easily, or, you know, putting a whole lot of new players in there, like, have these guys earned it? Like, did you hear all that sort of chatter, or were you just like, here we go, I'm on? Uh, <clears throat> probably probably didn't hear a lot of it, to be fair. I, when, when we're away, it's not like today where you know smartphones, you can see yeah. all the all the uh, stuff you want to see it. Um, we didn't really get too much uh, exposure to it, but we, we had a midweek game uh, against Ireland and Belfast as the first game. So there was a effectively a, a thirty man squad, but there was a, quite a few new faces that played um, that were on tour that hadn't actually played, been in All Black. So um, so there was quite a few of us in the same boat um, that were. That were, you know, going you know, assembled in Auckland. So um, <clears throat> it was, yeah, it wasn't like I was the only one. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I guess on reflection, you sort of see some of the um, comments and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I, I kind of had an inkling, but I didn't really think too much about it. Um, but later, you know, it was, it was brought up and talked about. And, and I guess as things went on, you know, <laughs> we got brought up a bit more as, um, you know, that. Uh, you know, it wasn't just a one-off sort of uh, game. You came and went and went up to it. So, um, but yeah, it was uh, 
pro- probably some of the the reflections, you know, the fear at the time because you know I hadn't played a lot. But okay. uh, yeah, sort of. I couldn't change the fact you picked, yeah. so you just wanted to go and get stuck in. And mate, first impressions of being an All Black, you know, like you probably got more kit thrown at <coughs> you than even thrown at you. You're, you know, with there were some new guys, which probably made things a little bit more comfortable. Guys like Aaron Major and Ben Blair, and and guys who are new new All Blacks, but also. It was Mertz and Lomu and, and some of the guys, um, Anton Oliver was the captain, you know, guys who've been around for a long time. Was it intimidating? Did you just put your head down, mate, and yes sir, no sir? Um, it was quite helpful. There was quite a few of the Cannery boys I'd, I'd played with in the team, like Ruben Thorne and uh, Scott Robertson, for example, the other two loose forwards I played with uh, in the first test and and whatnot. So that made it a little, <coughs> excuse me, a little bit more comfortable. Um, but the... The thing I remember, we, we went and stayed at the Ponamu, uh, which is yeah. sort of the tradition where the All Blacks and the amateur had always stayed. And, you yeah. know, back in there, and there's, uh, uh, so there was, a, there was a wee bit of chat about that. We're back to the, the roots. And then it was, we sort of trained as two 15s. And, okay. and I was sort of like, this looks like it could be the test team. You know, <laughs> they hadn't named who was going to be playing, but this is before we even left. That's, and, that's Mertz, and that's Shona Lomu and my team. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. On. And, um, but we, uh, the, the, the feeling I had is, is great to be named All Black, given all the kit and you know. Of course, that's pretty cool, and you know, ready to jump on a plane to go to the UK and Ireland. Um, and uh, but until you get on that field, yeah, you, know, you, you could hurt yourself, you could uh, whatever, and never be an All Black. And uh, so it was sort of exciting, but just wanted to get that jersey on, and get on the field, and um, uh, so. But, you know, I think we had three or four days before we left and, uh, you know, to try and sort out what the team was all about and, you know, figure out. And, of course, with new coaches, everyone was in the same boat, you know, yep. going, well, how are we going to play, What, you know, how do line-outs work, how to, all that sort of stuff. So um, it was pretty pretty steep learning. And, like, what when you got to Ireland, um, what was the vibe? Like, when when did you get a little tap on the shoulder that you might be starting in the test match? Because, like you say, there was a game against Ireland A in Bar- Belfast, on Wednesday, that you did you strip for that or play or not I, play? I, I did strip for it. Um, <clears throat> so the the two fifteens they sort of trained together, or we trained against each other before we left. Was actually the fifteen that was named for the right um, the midweek game. I was like, well, does that mean that I'm going to play on Saturday? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I was named on the bench. So obviously, it's an all black jersey, and you know. So part of me really wanted to get out in the field and a chance to play, but the other part of me is like. I really want to play on Saturday as well, uh, and, and it would be quite cool if your first match was a, a test match. But I wasn't picky; I was desperate to get on the field. But I think I don't think any reserves got on that yeah. night against Ireland. It was just the fifteen that got on, uh, started, played the whole game, and uh, so afterwards I was sort of like, well, right now I can uh, sort of focus on uh, hopefully Saturday and, and and playing. And so we had to, I think after that game went down to Dublin and. Uh, the test team was, was named on the Thursday. Um, we were training on Thursday, Friday, and then test match Saturday. Happy days. And how did you receive your first test jersey? Did anyone in particular hand it over to you? or um, the, If I remember rightly, Andrew Martin was the um, oh, yeah. was the manager, and uh, he uh, we just went to his room and he he uh, presented us the jersey. Uh, so we did it one at a time. Uh, went and uh, shook his hand and... Uh, like he, he uh, I got to say, as a, as a young fellow, he really went out of his way to help out uh, the the new boys and the team, and 
you know, little he did a lot of little things. I remember after the game, he gave me a, a match ticket and, oh, and something awesome. else from the game that I, you know, he goes, oh, yeah. this might be something you have as a souvenir of your first test. And I thought that was pretty thoughtful for the guy. And uh, yeah, so I got the jersey, went back, and I remember the first thing he did was put it on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, big baggy things in like, those days as well, weren't they? Like huge. hanging off the shoulders. Yeah. Well, I got my first one and my hundredth one's frame. <laughs> the hundredth one's about half the size, <laughs> but I was about I was about ten kilos bigger. <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, yeah, just sort of thinking, you know, a few of those things. Like, am I up to? Yeah, geez, I was going to say, does that because we see the. You know the 148 test all black polished version these days, um, but for that first one, you know, were there some insecurities, some doubts? Like, um, oh, there was a few doubts, but I, I, I was excited too. Um, and and yeah, you, know, you talked about some of the. There was a few questions asked that I knew about without actually getting into too much detail. And I, but I, I was the same. I didn't want to be a one test all black, two test. Yeah, came and realised you're not up to it, and you know yeah. someone else have a crack. I, I was desperate to. You know, show that I belong, but I didn't know what to expect. You know, like, yeah, I played some, played against some test players, and and for the, for, I didn't know what it was like <laughs> to play a test match, and and so I was, I was sort of, man, how's this going to go? What what's it all about? And people say, oh, it just goes like that, and it's, uh, you know, everything's quicker and faster and more physical. I was like, man, this, uh, but uh, but uh, I was probably, I was pretty nervous. But John Mitchell did. He, he pulled me aside on I think maybe in the Friday and he said how you going I said well pretty good he goes like, I realise you're going to be you know probably a little bit anxious and stuff like that he said I picked you because you're the best in the country nice. and I said like ooh okay thanks much that's pretty cool and yeah. he goes just go out there and do what you've been doing I was like oh I really appreciate that and so that, that relaxed me uh, a little bit but you know uh, yeah. come game day it was and it was like nerves because it's rugby is different then, you know. Like in terms of just how many people are supporting the team, you're scouting your opposition, knowing about other players, you know, even how you're going to play the game. Like, what was it in the lead up? Were you going to play, you know, a little bit like the NPC? You're going to play a really open game. You sort of pick some players and maybe allow you to do that. And you're going to keep that same NPC role. You know, did you practice the hucker rich in the mirror a few times to get ready for that? You know, um, um, it was. Uh, I can't remember sort of how we were, but but some of the things were done in Canterbury were a little bit new, but. We only had a week together, yep. um, so it was it was pretty much trying to get the basics right. Um, but from my point of view, um, it didn't really change a lot how you know he wanted to play. It was just sort of uh, yeah. you know get stuck in and yep. you know things like the breakdown don't change and and, and whatever. Um, so uh, there wasn't probably it was just making sure you could you fit it in and got your your role right. Um, the hacker, yep, I was. Uh, <laughs> Making sure uh, I got that right. Um, yeah. Greg Feek was he led it? Did he? Yeah, I think he was more nervous about leading that <laughs> than he was playing the game. <coughs> yeah. We always give him a bit of stick. It was the fastest hacker ever, but uh, <laughs> but uh, didn't stuff that up. So it was good. Yeah, got the job done, and then kick off. You got some good early touches, and you're into it. And then once it once it starts, is is it exactly <coughs> that? Is the first twenty minutes gone in the flash of light? Because when you look back, they started well. They started really well, and I I sort of wanted to ask you. You know, what do you know of the Irish? They had, you know, when I look at it now, Keith Wood and Brian O'Driscoll, you know, Malcolm O'Kelly, some pretty big names for back then, 52,000 people. But at the time, we'd, never, we'd still never lost to Ireland. And, and, you know, did you even think much about the opposition or you're very much just a young fella who was rip, shit and busting into it? I, I knew the All Blacks never lost to Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly didn't want to be the first, uh, <laughs> on my first day that that happened. But to be fair, the, the 
there wasn't a heap of heap of uh, analysis like the, uh, there is today. Um, like I knew some of those names and and whatever that uh, we're going to be playing against, but I was just probably more focused on how you know what I needed to do to you know regardless of who I was playing against. Um, but you're right, they they started extremely well, and but I, I do remember that first whistle went when the kickoff it was Mertz kicked off. And I was running, and I remember in my mind, I was like, well, at least I'm an all black now. You know, it doesn't matter what happened. And I think I probably, I think if I remember rightly, the first time I got the ball, I dropped it. And I was yeah. like, oh, that's a hell of a start. And <laughs> probably got penalised at some point at the start. And uh, But, you know, once sort of 20 minutes was gone just like that, and then started to get into the game. But I, I, the, the bit I remember, it was early in the second half they scored, and the... Yeah, I was like, the crowd was that going crazy. That made it 21-7 just yeah. after half-time, and they're like, probably thinking it's on here. This is, shouldn't be happening here, <laughs> apart from the All Blacks here, and uh, the All Blacks don't lose to Ireland. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, but from, from about that point on, I, I, I remember we, we had a scrum and, and Jonah scored, and it was yeah. it was so easy how he scored. It was just a, might have been, he cut with the 12, yeah. and hardly anyone touched him and under the sticks, and that was kind of the... The change, um, but uh, yeah, up until that point, it was it was a good old uh, wrestle. Yeah, and there's um, speak a little bit about Jonah. You know, like uh, rest in peace, the big man. But like he, he was a special man, eh? Like there was, um, I know you only got to play a little bit of rugby with them right at the start of your career, and 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 didn't play heaps beyond that point. But like you say, you know, it's still a game of of test rugby. Not many people can make tries like that. Just look that easy, you know? Like look like we're just for a little. 30-second period, we're playing under nines again. You know, like that, that was the sort of man he was, wasn't it? Yeah, well, go back to, we, we played, we first got to play against them uh, in the NPC where we had a shield game against Wellington, which, you know, we only just snuck in at the end. But was that, that was a hell of a ding-dong, wasn't it? Yeah, It was, but um, uh, I was perhaps, you know, growing up at school, you saw a lot of people get, have real trouble tackling <laughs> the big man, and yeah. uh, I was like, surely you can just get around the ankles, you know, and knock them over. I had two goes at tackling him that day, and uh, <laughs> both guys didn't. Both times didn't oh, go too. so good. And, oh, uh, and too. Yeah. yeah, but um, so you know, to have him in your team. But I think his star factor in in, in the uh, in Europe and in the UK and Ireland, like he's a he was just huge, m- yeah. massive following. And I just remember one of the trainings we went to, got off the bus, and there was a heap of people knew we were training and. As I was walking towards the ground, a huge crowd came running at me. I was oh, this is pretty cool. <laughs> and they just keep going past. I turned around, it was Jonah walking behind me. He just got mobbed everywhere yeah. he went. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, having a guy like that in your team. And, and even I look forward to the, I think it was the third test in uh, Argentina where things weren't going so good. And, you know, a try he scored from nowhere, uh, yeah. you know, like he was the difference. Yeah. And imagine if he'd just, you know, and this is what everyone, I guess, you know, so sad about if he had had that, been able to have done or shown his full potential yeah. without a sickness, man, he yeah. could have been even better than what we saw. Yeah, it does. It puts him in perspective, doesn't it? What a special athlete he was when he was running on 50, 60, 70 percent some of the time. Like it was, yeah. it was phenomenal. But, but it was, it was always about the jersey and the team. Yeah, being ahead of him, and he just wanted to do what you know. And that's something I'd, I admired. You know, he never complained, and you know, just got the job done, mate. By the time the full-time whistle blew, it was forty points to twenty-nine, and and Richie McCall was was player of the day. Like, did you when the you kind of got to the end of the work? Did you? I know you don't think about whether I'm player of the day or not, but like, did you think shit that that was a good first one? You know, you're pretty happy with your work, and well, 
I, I sort of played all right, uh, probably bar the first few minutes. But it was it was, there was a line out just maybe a minute or two before the end, and somehow I heard over the speaker that they announced the man of the match. I thought, geez, that might be my name. There we go. I was like, do I play that well? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was like, oh, well, I'll take it, you know, yeah, regardless. But uh, it was, yeah, maybe they felt sorry for the new kid, you know, didn't <laughs> disgrace himself. But uh, it was pretty cool. And uh, I guess having that, but then actually the thing that came later was uh, when we got our caps at a, a post-match dinner. That was the real special part. And, and uh, you know, there was Dave Hewitt and uh, Aaron Major also test debut that day. And uh, that's the real memory I have of, of after that game was, um, was getting your cap and, and, and so you had a proper after match with a ceremony, and, and the guys who were New All Blacks got to go up and receive their cap. Because you don't do they don't do post matches as much as they used to, do not, they? Not like that. Not like uh, maybe in the north, uh, they still have that tradition. Uh, you know, play afternoon games. Um, but yeah, we uh, went to a dinner, and I didn't really understand the capping side of things. But uh, yeah, we got caught up on stage and cap on, and you know. The, the Irish were pretty good because apparently, uh, well, the, what well, is the tradition is anyone that uh, has got a cap, if someone comes over with a drink, you've got to have a drink with them. So yeah. there's 30 odd Irish guys, <laughs> 15 or 30 all that guys, so made for a pretty long night. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, mate, but like you say, it's there's been plenty in the middle between the first and the last, but it's one that obviously that sticks with you um, no matter how long in the tooth you get, it's, it's, it's in a memory that's going to stay with you. And like, while... I don't know actually what would be most special to you, but to, to make your debut in a bit of a rugby cathedral, like one of um, the real traditional grounds, It's they don't play in that ground anymore. You know, it's a different ground now. Um, Lansdowne Road, 52,000 people. And from my experiences, which are nothing like yours, they are wonderful rugby people. Rugby in Ireland, is, it's almost the sport that brings the whole nation together, isn't it? Yeah, there's, there's a few things in that. The, um, the, the thing I remember, one of the things that sticks out for every time I got to play on Ireland is when the goal kicker takes a kick goal, there's dead silence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the odd yeah. idiot Kiwi yell out <laughs> something, but um, uh, it's 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 quite eerie. Yeah. Um, so that, that's something that I think, you know, the respect side of things for that is pretty awesome. The other, the other thing uh, at old, the old Lansdowne Road is the train used to run under the, sta- right. under the stand and when we were warming up, the, obviously the train rolled in or rolled past, and I thought the whole place was falling down. You know, when we were getting changed, uh, as the train rumbled, pretty much just by the back, the back uh, <laughs> wall of the the changing room. So, but it was a an old stadium at the time, but it was, and it's obviously been upgraded now to a pretty cool, um, the Viva Stadium, whatever it's called. But uh, you know, to have got to play at that that ground, um, got to play there a couple of times. It was it was pretty. Pretty amazing. Um, I was going to say, like you sort of said a little bit at the start, like you're just a young fella there tearing in versus to how you're prepared for your last game. Like, do you almost look back and think, like well, you almost said that, like, geez, how did I, how do I get through that game? You know, you just probably became so meticulous and, and put so much energy into your performance with all the different bits and pieces you do, whether it be analysis, some of the off the field work, you know, scouting other teams, you know, how you were playing yourself. We were probably still just just a raw young fella back then, weren't you, who just go around and, and literally put yourself in the ground by working that hard? Well, I, I guess you have some things you could do really well, and I guess around the breakdown at the time, that was yep. something that you know I, I was able to have an impact on. Uh, probably the rest of the game need a fair bit of work, but that's what, I guess, as time went on, you're able to do that. But just shows you if you can really have the right attitude and enthusiasm that goes with some of the skills you've got and really... Uh, you know, use them to your advantage. You can actually have an impact, and and it, 
and I, I guess as a youngster, uh, and that those you know that year, and and maybe it was around a lot of those sort of attributes that got you you know prepared to learn, prepared to work hard, prepared to get better, not just oh like I've arrived now. Is actually yeah. that's only the start, and I guess that was the sort of thing that was drummed into me is that. You know, uh, there's going to be other people that are all uh, looking to get better. So when you're there, you want to keep getting better. And I, the thing that happened was um, we had three tests. I got to play in those three, but went back and it was pretty much start again. You're back to actually yeah. playing a full Super Rugby. I'd never gone through a full campaign. <laughs> and you had to earn your spot again. And I, and I didn't want to be uh, one of those players that, you know, went on a tour, played a game, and then... Yep. you went back and thought you were better than you were. and, and On and a actually, bottle cap question, yep, yep. you know. So uh, you did right. So uh, that I guess the motivation there. I had a little taste, and I was like, "Man, I, I just want some more of that." And, and it needed to make sure um, the things you did back in playing for the Crusaders uh, established that. The thing I was going to say before the, the unique thing about um, Ireland that rugby has is it unites Northern yeah. Ireland and Ireland in, in one, which is unique for everything else. And I didn't understand all that until you know you've been there a few times and. That's what the power of sport, you yeah. know, can actually do. And just understanding we got to play in Belfast against um, Ireland A, the different uh, outlooks and things of that, that was that was quite an eye-opener as a youngster. We, you know, we got taken up the in Belfast, up the, the falls and the Shankill, you know, yeah. and just understanding all that history that yeah. was there is like, man. And it actually was in 2008 we got to play at Croke Park while yes. Lansdowne Road has been. Would you say why that was significant? Well, well, Croke Park is where they play the um, traditional um, Gaelic football. football. And obviously rugby was a more of an English sport, so it was sort of that that There's symbolized, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. So that rugby was now being played at... Uh, uh, the home of Croke, the national, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that was quite a big deal. And um, we, we did a bit of... We had a bit of... You know, we got explained to us a bit yeah. of uh, things around that. Like the, the one end of the stadium is not built out because of the um, history about something that had happened... I, yeah, I forget what it, tell you what it was, so I don't want to get it wrong. But man, it was all of a sudden. This yeah, is, there's this a bit of history in this day. town. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Nah, that, I mean, awesome occasion to be a part of, and and an awesome. I mean, it's it's a pretty cool first test experience, isn't it, for a for a young fella that went on to have a great career. The the, the Irish, uh, I have a lot of time for the Irish around how they approach life, but <laughs> yeah. certainly the, the rugby and the rugby people. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, really. They love the game just like we do. The, the the one memory I do have, I played against um, David Wallace, who after the game he came up, and I thought I wanted to swap a jersey. There's no yeah. way I was going to swap. He said, "No, no, I understand. You don't want to swap it, but here's here's my jersey for you to just to, to keep." Which I thought was pretty cool. Geez, that's outstanding, isn't it? Yeah, how yeah, good. SAP are all about all about best run teams. Our partners at SAP pride themselves on powering the best run teams. So we're going to ask our guest Richie today to help identify some success factors on and off the pitch. So a few questions, Rich, because you've been in a few good teams since then. Um, in your time, mate, with the All Blacks, was there any one or two common factors for success that stand out from the from NPC Crusaders when you're a 20 year old through to you know when you hung up the boots in 2015 with the All Blacks? I think uh, one of the things, and the teams that's successful, um, you know, people talk around they have a have a tight bond or a culture that they play for each other, and it's because they they want to see the team be successful before they take any personal accolades. And I think the Crusaders that I was involved in, we were successful, and the All Blacks, you know, people were prepared to uh, put 
put the team ahead of themselves. And uh, and if you're prepared to do that, you'll you'll help people. You'll uh, do the right thing. And um, and I think if you have that sort of attitude, then the the things that you need to get right to execute whatever it is, uh, on the field and, and stuff, uh, they become a lot easier. Whereas if you have people sort of pulling their own directions because they want it for themselves, uh, that's when you you don't see that until it gets tough. So yeah. the teams I, I've been in that have ha- been pretty tight in that regard have uh, been successful. successful. Well, Samane, you had such a long career, and I imagine sometimes it's it's probably easy to stand still a little bit. Like, what did you do to make sure you continued to grow as a player through a, through a you know effectively a 15-year professional rugby career? Well, the moment moment you think you've uh, you've made it and you're as good as you're going to be, I think it's probably time to move <laughs> on and do something else. And if and if you s- sit there and think you're you're, you're perfect, then uh, I think you're in trouble. And you, you see it at the start of, and I, and I said it before, when you become an all but you think, oh, I'm the finished article, and that that's when people just plateau and yep. and they they start to lack the desire and motivation or, or whatever it is, and, and then they start to struggle because, um, but you know keep reassessing uh, where you're at and what you need to be better at. And that, that was the drive for me, And I, especially when you come into a leadership position. If you're expecting new players or younger players to get better at what they do, they're looking at me or yep. the senior, but are they getting better? What are they doing? And so um, so that was always my attitude. You need to lead the way to, to keep working on the things that you know you can get better at. Because I, I was always, you know, probably – at a fault sometimes you look at all the things that you you can't do rather than all the things you can and, and sometimes you need to you know not get down on yourself but if you're not keep looking at those things you, you aren't going to get better and, and, and you'll you'll miss a trick so um, even when I finished I was like I don't know there's things that I, I if I'd had more time or yeah. whatever I, I could have been better at but yeah. uh, could have kicked you know, the goals mate could have like <laughs> well, I, I think it was probably one step too far to be fair but uh, but I think it, it comes down to how good you want to be yep. and, and if you're just happy being an all black and putting the jersey on, um, you're not going to have that drive or desire. So, um, yeah. And mate, in in the world, in the team and an individual, is there any particular um, person or team that you admire as being high performing? Is there any that you look at and think, yeah, I'd I'd love to know what makes them tick? Or maybe you've been lucky enough to see um, inside a few teams and and see what makes them tick. Uh, probably from an individual point of view. Put aside the off off course things, <laughs> like but Tiger Woods yeah. uh, in his prime, um, probably uh, the the mental side of the game. You know when he was in with a sniff, you know the amount of people that crumbled around him <laughs> yeah. because he was he was there, and uh, that you know because he had to deliver when it really counted, and and when people that's that's the thing I really admire about sportsmen is when it really counts in the big days they can really deliver. I mentioned Federer earlier. He's another one, and you, know, you probably put the three big guys that have been around for a yeah. long time uh, in that category. But you just admire the fact that they're just rel- relentless. They just uh, never just go, oh, I've sort of done enough. They're always striving to be better, and that's something I really admire. And and I, I guess when you reflect on your own career, you, that's the sort of way you'd never want to turn up and just sort of go, oh, well, he's sort of done his past his but he's uh, yep. just happy being here actually you, you always want to be uh, getting better and so people if they're going to knock you off they're going to be pretty good yeah I love it big game on Saturday Rich um, firstly you're heading along to Eden Park to watch uh, the All Blacks play on and first test match of the year are you there? I am I am I'm really looking forward to it actually we've got uh, they um, 
got a few uh, few of the guys I played with uh, coming oh, in for, uh, for something, uh, get together on the Friday night before, so that'd be pretty cool. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Like, I don't think we've had this sort of anticipation for a June series nah. in a long time. Uh, absolutely. And like, you kept a clean sheet. You did manage to keep a clean sheet against the Irish in your playing days. Pretty close a couple <laughs> yeah. of times. Well, I was going to say that, mate. Like, you're, um, you know, was it Christchurch... 2012 Dublin 2013 like what a game of footy that was like even though you managed to just get over the line in those matches you must appreciated you know when you did hang hang up the boots that they were coming that they they were getting every time you played them they seemed to just be getting that little bit better didn't they yeah um I should I just look at my whole career we talked about the first game where there was you know it was it was a bit on the line there for for a while uh 2002 they came to New Zealand we had a it was it was probably we never really in danger of losing, but it was a close game in Carisbrook, first test up. Um, uh, you talk about 2012, 2013, uh, they were down pretty close sort of game. So uh, feel history of, you know, you know and, and I think sometimes from afar they go, oh, the All Blacks will beat Ireland. But, geez, if you didn't get it right, you could easily not got knocked over and they've shown in the last, uh, last wee while they're more capable. And, and I guess when you start to have that belief, it's like a lot of things. Once yeah. you get across the line, once you know... These guys aren't beat, un, aren't unbeatable, and uh, you know with what happened last year, um, I'm sure the Irish will come down here with a opportunity that they they see. And uh, but you know I know the All Blacks will be hurting after what happened last year, and they'll be just you know you're going to get to wait six months to get the jersey back on to uh, you know put a bit of memory in the in the bank. Um, yeah, it's a good opportunity. Mate, final question. You know anything you want to see from the boys this weekend? I know you you've done it so many times, but that. That first test match of the year is is probably always a difficult, well, not a difficult one, but you know you got to you got to blow off the cobwebs and, and get the team together, decide how you're going to do things. You've always got maybe a few new players have been picked, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But is there a, a couple of things in June you'd love to see from the lads? Um, the Garden of Eden, Eden's been a bit of a fortress for us, and, and hope it is again. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things I always remembered um, going into the June series when you play the Northern Hemisphere. Um, the game's slightly different playing the Northern Hemisphere where, you know, compared to Super Rugby where the, the contact area and the breakdown is just seems to have a different edge to it. Yep. And no matter, even if you're playing well, you go in there, the first 20 minutes of that first test is always like, wow, that's right, I remember what this is all about, <laughs> you know. And, and you've got to meet that. You've got to, otherwise, that's where you, you can't get your game going. The, the times have struggled to get going, you know, you, you put it down to a bit of rust not being together, but it's often because you haven't got that contact area Right, and um, you know, so if that was one thing you'd you'd focus on is uh, making sure that those things are, are done right, so you can get some ball. So, yeah, you know, the talent we've got in the the All Blacks um, are as good as anyone, and you get some nice nice ball and make some good decisions. Uh, you know, hopefully we can see that. Mate, thank you so much. I know you got a busy day of of um, you know um, the other side of rugby up in Auckland today. So appreciate you coming in, doing an early one with us. It's awesome. Um, I'm very very excited about the game at Eden Park on the 2nd of July. Hope your blacks can go well and appreciate you coming in and giving me an insight to your first game against Ireland back in 2001. Cheers, mate. Uh, pleasure. The All Blacks podcast is powered by our official cloud software partner, SAP, helping our teams in black be the best run in sports. Hosted by Rob Dunn in the Hargrave Street studio. Produced by Carl Thompson from Blue and Ginge, the podcast producers. Video editing by Mac Leesberg, graphics by Western Design, content advising from Andy Burt, and commercial manager for the podcast is Valeska Hoth. 
Follow the All Blacks podcast on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube and anywhere you get your podcasts.